Today is September 22nd. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Cal Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bogani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, which were signed September 22nd. Today's date, 1877. So today's the anniversary. With signatories that include Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. Uh, we acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Hoki, Mikochis, Chestokom, Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman and Blackfoot. My spirit name was given to me in ceremony. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot. I'm Michelle Robinson, and I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, very English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satchi Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. My father is so Canadian, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage, and then I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe in Dene, or Mokinstis in Blackfoot. And in Dene, it means many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. In Blackfoot, Mokinstis uh, is the meeting spot where the Elbow River and the Bow River meet, and you touch your elbow as you say Mokinstis every time. Land acknowledgements are a critical way of creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest, which is incredibly critical on September 22nd. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, for First Nations, the First Nation and Inuit Hope for, Help, Hope for Wellness Helpline is 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For non-Indigenous, there are distressed uh, center lines in your area too. My Patreon account, Native Calgarian, is where you can pledge and support. Thank you to all my previous donors for showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Uh, we are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I want to give out a shout-out to my previous loyal supporters as well. Um, so... Let's start with, today is September 22nd, so that means we have some really important dates coming up. And I want to remind everybody that uh, there's a Justice for Joey English walk uh, happening by the English family. And it starts at Bagani and will unite up here in Calgary for the uh, October 4th Walking With Our Sisters date. So the walk actually starts on October 2nd from Bagani and will come up to Calgary here for October 4th. Now, October 4th is the National Sisters and Spirit Vigils that will happen all across Canada. And if you go to uh, your local Indigenous Women's Shelter or uh, Friendship Centre, you'll find out that information if you're not in Calgary. But I strongly, strongly encourage non-Indigenous to attend because it shows support for the families that have lost their loved ones. Um, and this year is very, um, you know, important with the National Inquiries release of the 231 calls to justice. So, you know, we're in an election year, we have 231 calls to justice, and I'm not hearing policy discussion on, on this at all. So please be pressing your candidates on this. And I'm sad that nobody's made it an election issue up to this point. So sadly, what has become uh, an election issue is blackface. And I'm sure you all seen my status that went out on Facebook and Twitter saying, but are you having a cotton blackface three times kind of bad day? Because I can't imagine what an awful day 
it was for Justin Trudeau. Um, I know for somebody who's associated with the Liberal Party, it was a pretty awful day for me, not going to lie, because um, I feel like a lot of the moment- momentum that we had was definitely, you know, you started the election, you want to get going, and then this happened. But of course, what really upset me more, unfortunately, was the reaction to it. And and that's the thing that sucks about systemic racism in Canada. If you are a person of color, if you are Indigenous, you get to put up with not just the actual act of systemic racism, but also crappy racism that happens like this and then the crappy racism fallout that happens from this so um as a liberal unfortunately for me i get to see a whole lot of crappy uh non-indigenous non-people of color give their really awful opinions about what they think and like they obviously don't listen to my show (laughs) one because they know to shut the fuck up sit down like that I can't stress that enough. If you've never experienced racism, you are the last person on the fucking planet that has the right to fucking talk about it. Point blank. You should be passing the mic to somebody racial. End of fucking discussion. I can't believe after all of the conversations we've had since fucking the beginning of fucking time, this is still being like this needs to be said together in sentences. I know many of my listeners don't like swearing. I don't love swearing either, frankly, because I think that, um, you know, it's just poor uh, communication. I don't know what it's going to take. We've communicated as nice as we possibly can a million freaking times this issue, and people still don't get it. Wake up. This is so problematic. And And the worst part is, is white people still don't get it. And even worse... They retweet white people's point of view. And even worse, they share white people's point of view on Facebook. Stop doing that. Jesus Christ. Fuck. Stop it. Sit the fuck down and and don't be liking people's bullshittery answers. I, I can't even believe this needs to be said. And if you're a white person and you see somebody asking the question, hey, what do you think of blackface? Shut the fuck up and read. I don't know why it is so hard for people who don't experience racism to learn from people who actually do. I I cannot put that together. And then the best part was all of the media commentary. How many white people had their shitty opinions about racism, even though they've never fucking experienced it? That's just so typical, isn't it? I mean, like, let's just talk about all of the opportunities we've had to talk about it. I've been calling out racism in the party for fucking 10 years. And it goes in one ear and out the other. I've brought anti-hate policies. I've brought anti-racism policies. I've talked about it within the structure. In one ear, out the other. I was exhausted. Left the party. I was too exhausted to possibly work within it at the time. Um, with all of the other awful things that were happening, whether it was Tina Fontaine, whether it was Colton Bushy, I literally had someone who is a part of the Women's Commission try to school me on Colton Bushy and why it was legally acceptable. Like, seriously, <laughs> I can't tell you how awful these conversations are. And then, you know, I tried to lift up some of the racial folks that are within the party and and then, of course, the whole Jody Wilson-Rainbow and Celine issue. Like, and I mean, I've done podcasts on this. Um, it is very clear to me that the Liberal Party is not listening to a fucking word I got to say. And they haven't been since I started the podcast. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, so it's so funny because, um, you know, I I had this incident with somebody where they were like, do you even know who I am? <laughs> and I just kind of smiled and nodded. And I thought, you have no idea who you're talking to yet. Here you are trying to school me on politics. Cool. Um, yeah, this is like my every day. But you know, I'm an Indigenous woman. And I know a lot of you folks out there do not believe it. But as soon as a woman is seen, they are not treated equally. And then add the whole racism issue, then it's double worse. Um, And I'll give you an example. uh, My daughter's school, they googled the names of their moms and their dads. Every single person did. Everybody was blown out of the water by my husband who does podcasts, you know, but me who has like long lists of news media running for political office, they just totally brushed over. 
that that is the reality of sexism for those who have never experienced it before. So now add the issue of racism and now we have blackface going on. And this is a really complicated issue because I know in the Indigenous community, we do a lot of face painting. And not that long ago, we had a, a person who um, who was Inuit who had this um, art display. I never seen it, but, you know, they had the Black community say that we need to take this down immediately because it has blackface, not acknowledging the cultural significance of the face painting at all. So, you know, blackface is painful for me. As an Indigenous person in Calgary, watching my Inuit sister or brother getting their art taken down by a community that doesn't even understand colonialism. And that's the thing that's been upsetting me more than anything, is that they will bring in, you know, brown people, black people to talk about blackface, but they, nobody's discussing colonialism. No one's discussing systemic racism based in our fucking constitution called the Indian Act. Nobody! Well, and that's not true because Tanya Talaga went on the CBC radio and I, I have been searching since she's been on there trying to find this clip to, you know, retweet and share with others. And how, what a coincidence. I can't find it. What a fucking coincidence that when it's an indigenous woman speaking on a topic of systemic racism, colonial racism, the basis of Canada, we just conveniently can't talk about that. But we sure as fucking find people to talk about blackface. <sighs> so one of my favorite clips that um, I have shared on Native Calgarians, uh, Facebook and on Twitter, I've reshared and are, are a person I highly respect and I recommend every single person follow is Desmond Cole. Um, Desmond Cole and uh, Desmond Cole, first and foremost, is a... a a black activist in Toronto, you know, he came out to Calgary, he talked about police carding. I've been following him for years because he does, you know, anti, um, th there's so much anti-immigration um, policies and he does the counter protest to that as well, as does other amazing folks in Toronto. There's so many things for us to unfortunately just stand up against. And here's another example of it. So Desmond Cole, when he came out to Calgary, of course, I took that opportunity to go meet him and see him, take a picture. I was so over the moon to see him. So I was, I really think that uh, as a black man who's been speaking out about racist policies, obviously his point of view matters most. So um, I do want to share some great points that he said on CTV when he was asked. And um, one of the po uh, points that he brought up was that how interesting that, you know, we have at least three pictures of Justin Trudeau in blackface and not one single one of his peers said, hey, did you know that's racist? Not one. That's how deep systemic racism is in Canada. That blackface is so casual that it's like totally cool. We have brown and black people who are totally colonized, who are like, oh no, it's totally cool because 2001 was a different time. And I mean, there are folks that are like, I don't know, I was in 2001. It wasn't cool then either. Any racial person will tell you it was never cool. It's never been cool. And there's a lot of historical context as to why it is awful and racist. <sighs> Another point that he brought up is that it's not up to uh, people of color to forgive Justin. I actually, so one of my favorite people in the whole planet is uh, Christiana Freeland. And for the first time, I just was so upset at what she tweeted out. Um, she tweeted out that she forgives Justin for the damage he caused to other people. Like she has a fucking vote in this. I'm sorry, Christiana Freeland. I love you to fucking pieces. I think you're one of the bosses globally. But fuck you when it comes to talking about you forgiving anybody over fucking racism because you've never fucking experienced it. So sit the fuck down on this issue. You and all the other fucking liberals that think this is okay, fuck you. It is not okay to be talking about racism if you've never experienced racism. Never. Like, it was bad enough what happened to Selena in the party. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm so angry. Another thing that um, uh, Desmond Cole brought up was that he thinks that um, he should quit using Jagmeet as a prop. It actually, the reporter kind of implied it, but it was basically um, Desmond Cole, who's like, this is not okay. In fact, he outright said that Justin Trudeau should resign over this. 
And, um, you know, like I understand the way politics works. We're middle of election cycle and that's not even possible, which really sucks ass because <laughs> Desmond's right. He's like, I'm sorry if this was any other person, this person should resign. I mean, obviously not a conservative because they are point blank racist and have absolutely no credibility on the topic of racism. But, <laughs> you know, they're, they're a totally different story. Anyway, but with obviously with Justin, it's a lot different. I just want to get back to what Desmond was kind of pointing out, though. Um, oh, and he brought this up, how uh, the Tories have zero credibility because of their history of snitch lines, Islamophobia, racism against indigenous, um, homophobia, etc., etc. And he had brought up that at this point, he has never seen so many people of color in the media being asked to speak on these issues. So I would argue that this is a highlight of how non-diverse our media is, that we're all like special guests being asked for free to show up and do these things. So they, he was actually in Vancouver and was asked to be on, and I was really grateful he did it. But the truth is, like, I've done lots and lots of media, and one, it's not as cool as my husband getting, like, one shot of it. But two, it's just that bigger picture that, you know, as guests, we're never paid. Never, never, never paid. But there's a lot of folks in the industry that do get paid and you never see people of color in the media. So they have, they have no concept of how to even ask questions about it, which was so embarrassingly, in my opinion, like on display for the rest of the world to see when they have literally all these white journalists in the plane with Justin and they don't know how to ask questions about racism because they're all too fucking daft to know what to ask. <sighs> this is definitely the our, <laughs> the podcast of swearing. I'm sorry. I just feel really pissed off about all of this because I know a lot of you are like, oh, man, you sure about it, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no, you fucking morons. That's not what I'm fucking talking about. I'm talking about the bigger picture of systemic racism. That's what I've always been talking about. And it goes in one ear and out the other because Canadians, I just don't understand. Like you put all these pieces together. There's books and books and books, podcasts. There's, you know, interviews, articles, people of color all around them. And yet they still think they're the authority on what racism is and isn't. And, and still unwilling to listen. That's the kicker. That's the kicker to me. Still unwilling to even listen to people of color. Um try to get back to my notes here that I, I, I wanted to make uh, no fly lists that stop folks from flying. That hurts brown people. You know, the Canadian government fighting Indigenous kids in court so they don't have to give the same money to non-Indigenous kids in the child welfare system. You know, um, Justin Trudeau still working with Trump to stop people from leaving the U.S. and coming into Canada. You know, and the media should be talking about those policies, uh, all of the racist policies that negatively and disproportionately affect people of color. That was what Desmond's always been talking about. I was always talking about that even before I joined the Liberal Party. We were talking about, you know, the secret five that were under the security certificates. Um, bill 21, Sonia brought this up. And obviously that bill in Quebec violates human rights and religious freedoms. But right now it's an election time. So nobody wants to be really strong on that because obviously, you know, Quebec voted to violate people's um, religious freedoms because really what they're doing is they're targeting Muslims. Like it's 2019 and we are still targeting Muslims, even under a liberal government. And yet everybody's just okay with that because the bar's so fucking low and Sheer and his whole, you know, gang of, of KKK wearing white sheets are like, you know, well, we definitely don't want them. And it's like, yeah, but you don't see that the bar is set so low. And that's the irony. You go look at the polls, the Tories have an equal shot as anyone else. And that is what is racist. That's the systemic racism. I know as a minority, my vote is only a small proportion of the overall vote. Overall, racists get to vote. So overall, we get to choose what racist we like the most. And that's really shitty. Even Jagmeet Singh, the whole reason why I'm not behind the whole, yeah, fucking NDPs are awesome, like a lot of other folks, is because at the end of the day, I'm oppressed by brown people too. And brown people don't understand oppression 
of colonialism in Canada. They just don't get it. Not irony being, colonialism happened over in Pakistan, India as well. But, you know, when it comes to Islamophobia, they're the first ones to ask that one native they know to show up. But when it comes to anti-Indigenous, anti-racism, we're all kind of the last people that they think of, which is super pathetic. And then, and I've had this happen in many circles where it's like, well, but you're not like the leader of the Indigenous people, so your voice doesn't really matter. I've had that said to me numerous times, and especially running. And it so sucks. It just so sucks. I can tell you this. It's like, okay, so I know what I'm talking about. We just had a women's conference here. And and you know who was there? But Senator Patty um, Benson Lubacane. Lubacan. She was there. And she was like, who here's read uh, this policy on child welfare? And I was like, put up my hand. I was literally the only person in the fucking room who put up her hand. Oh, well, who's read my book? I put up my hand. I'm like, I had a book club on it. The only person in the fucking room. <sighs> you know, I get it. I get it. You know, I I swear I'm maybe a little too white-coated for some natives, um, but I'm not native enough for the non-natives. I get it. I You know, you, you're trying to figure all this. I'm too straight, too cis for the LGBTQ2 plus community. I get it. But... You know what I do fucking know? I know how to fucking read. And you know what I fucking make time for? Reading fucking policies that discriminate against people. And you know what I talk about? Policies that discriminate against fucking people. And yet nobody's amplifying my fucking voice. And everybody's looking down on me for having a voice on this shit. Fuck you. Fuck you. I can't believe this. Here we are. We're still under the Indian Act. We're still discriminating against kids in the child welfare. We are still experiencing racism in the justice system, education, the health. <laughs> Here we are. And, and oh, I have no idea who the fuck I'm going to talk to about that. Oh, I don't know. Maybe the one person who was the one person calling out all of the fucking municipal candidates and mayoral candidates on the White Goose Flying Report. I was the one talking about fucking police carding provincially. I was the one who was talking at the federal level of, about discriminatory practices against Indigenous. I was the one liberal who spoke out against C-51. And APTN, they put me on the news for a short period, but you can't find that clip either. I experienced so much lateral violence within my own community. And it's, that's never acknowledged. And, and you know what? I don't, I'm not mad at my community for it because I understand colonialism. That's the worst part about it. It's like I can't even really be mad at my community because I know all the stupid government policies that have been imposed on us all. You know, in the part of the Matrix where they're like, there is a choice, you know, you can have the blue pill or the red pill. You know, there's a part of me that wants to be like that one guy who's like, yeah, so I want to go back and not know all this shit. Sometimes I feel like that person. Sometimes I wish I could just, you know, not know these things, not have read these books. But you know what? I am proud I did. I'm going to keep speaking out against it because at the end of the day, I know I'm educating not just my daughter, but other people too. And it is pretty funny when I educate somebody on something and then they come and try to educate me on the same thing because they forgot they heard it from me. I mean, that happens to me all the time too. And I mean, that's good though, because that means the message is getting out. And I'm also a big believer that Sometimes you have to hear a message like seven times before you get it, whether you're learning math, learning science, whatever. I'm not special. I might be that third time you hear the same kind of messaging. I might be the first time. And if I'm the first time, then I guarantee you fucking hate me because I'm the one who was like woke you up and pissed you off. And I do that all the time. And I'm really okay with that. But some people, it is like the fifth, sixth, seventh time they've heard it. So by the time they hear it from me, they really hear it. And now those are the people that give me hope. Um, you know, I when I'm out and about in community, there are a lot of people that say, oh, man, I have learned a lot from your podcast. And I wish they would like send me that message so that I could tell others that, hey, other people are actually learning something. But the gap, of course, is always trying to get folks to be like empowered enough to say, hey, Jason Kenny, can you not um, cut Indigenous education? Um, hey, Justin Trudeau, could you, you know, 
close the gap on the funding for child welfare. And that's Cindy Blackstock's work. I don't, oh, she's such a rock star. Deepest respects for her, I tell you. Um, anyway, anyway, back to black folk, or uh, black face and uh, Desmond Cole and, and Sonia uh, Kang of the U of T being on CTV. Um, you know, I was talking about Bill 21 and, and Sonia had brought that up and how it, how it violates human rights and religious freedoms. Um, one of the things that I thought Desmond Cole brought up that was really important to say, he said, stop telling people of color to vote for Justin Trudeau and be quiet to avoid sheer. Um, he said, this is a pattern of behavior from Justin. Um, he said it just, or, uh, Desmond was talking about this four years ago when Justin Trudeau had brought up that, uh, some, somebody had asked him about the violence against women and, Justin Trudeau actually said the root of it is because um, that a lot of the music that kids listen to um, is about that and that there are a lot of uh, kids without fathers. So Desmond called, Cole called out that anti-black behavior like four years ago. And as, as Desmond Cole said, folks chose not to see that pattern of behavior in Justin Trudeau. And uh, then it was brought up like Bill Blair. Now, for those who followed me, I was outspoken against Bill Blair for years because of uh, the G, G, um, eight, was it G eight, G twenty, G twenty, G twenty, uh, stuff that had happened out at um, Toronto. And the time, Dan Dix wasn't like this white supremacist, like misogynistic jerk, but he was just kind of like this press for truth reporter, and he put out a really great uh, DVD called Into the Fire. And it really highlighted and documented a lot of the um, police abuse that happened to just regular Toronto people that were walking around at the time that the G20 happened. And there was all these protests and how the police, did, they just didn't discriminate. They were just, if you were in the vicinity, they beat the fucking living piss out of you. And there was no accountability for Bill Blair at that time. So when he became a liberal, a lot of my activist friends said, what are you going to do now, Michelle? I'm like, I don't fucking know. I probably won't ever see him or meet him. And guess what? That's 100% true. Never met him or seen him. And um, I know for me, like, it would be a really awkward, um, you know, thing to be in the same room as this man and be like, <laughs> so what's it like giving the order that it's perfectly okay to beat citizens? Like, because they had no accountability whatsoever. Anyway, a lot of people don't care because they weren't directly affected. But, you know, who were directly affected were the victims and they did speak out and they still were, are looking for justice and they never got that justice. So obviously that's just regular um, Toronto folks that lived in the area at the time. Well, imagine for um, being black and living in Toronto, all of the racism that they experienced by the police. And Desmond, he talked about you know, um, the amount of times police would, you know, beat up somebody or throw someone in jail or give them a fine for having cannabis and the hypocrisy of having Bill Blair, a liberal MP, not expunging cannabis records and just calling for more policing now as a liberal. Um, so anyway, Desmond Cole really wrapped it up by saying that Justin Trudeau is a distraction on the issue of racism by using terms like intersectionality, but not changing his racist policies. And I mean, I'm a liberal. I have 10 years under my belt of calling that shit out. So I'm just going to say obvs. Ay, ay, ay. <sighs> so um, first of all, a huge positive shout out to the Aboriginal Friendship Center for uh, sponsoring me to be a part of a women's conference and two-spirit conference that they hosted. It was a two-day conference. And, um, you know, when it first came out and I seen the price, I was like, there's no way I can afford to go to this. But they had um, a small pot of money to sponsor some folks who couldn't go. And um, uh, one of the folks that are at the Friendship Center encouraged me to go back on. And I, I didn't feel comfortable because the only option was if you are an elder, click here. And I'm not an elder. And I'm just going to say that again. I am not a elder. So because of that, um, they said, you know, don't look at it as just elders. Look at it as community people, too. So I did put it through, and they did approve me to be sponsored to go to this conference, which I'll be forever grateful because um, I got to hear Buffy St. Marie and hear not just, um, like she was the keynote speaker, number one, 
and she, she wow you know i i have a stereotype of buffy saint marie i think we all do i'd love to hear what your stereotype of buffy saint marie is um but for me i i've met a lot of artists that i think are airy fairy morons I'm not gonna lie and there are a lot of artists who are fantastic people who are so woke they're way more woke than i am so like i there's a huge spectrum of people in an industry like that and from the videos that i had seen of buffy in mainstream media i always found that they really depicted her as kind of like airy fairy so i just assumed she was some hippie from the 60s and um you know for the fbi to be like yeah so we're not going to play any of her music and she's on our watch list i had the deepest respect for her because you know marginalized if you look at all the demographics of marginalized folks you know there's white people on the top uh white women second and then black men and then black women and then uh brown women or brown men brown women and then the very very bottom are indigenous and we're the greatest proportion of people that are thrown in jails murdered all of those wonderful stats that totally suck ass that we call genocide that canadians are way too afraid to call genocide so you know for her to be targeted by not just the canadian government but now the u.s government i've always seen her as one of those like marginalized activists these are just my thoughts and opinions and my stereotype and bias that i had before seeing her then i got to see her and and hear her speak for a long time and when she spoke first the the first thing that impressed me was the amount of education she had under her belt she had gone to tons of different colleges and universities not just in canada and the us but all across the globe um one of the things that shocked me and surprised me over the course of this woman's like um activism over generations uh decades she has never been asked to speak at a conference on wisdom uh, um in north america she was very clear about in the americas that's how she talks she doesn't say north america she says in the americas it's kind of that generational gap there i really loved hearing her say that um but apparently because she speaks french she spoke um in belgium at a wisdom conference uh decades ago she said in the 70s so that's how long it's been since buffy saint marie who has all of this like you know decades of wisdom that's how long it's been since she's been asked to speak she doesn't think there's ever been um a women an indigenous women in two-spirit conference on wisdom in north america and she certainly wasn't asked to speak if even if there was there's a lot of gravity to that i think a lot of folks don't understand the oppression of indigenous uh we weren't even allowed to have lawyers for the longest time in my lifetime in my lifetime the indian act has changed in my lifetime and buffy is way older than i am so i don't think people understand the gravity of indigenous being unable to organize because of the laws that have been imposed against us for so long for us to you know gather in groups of three to not have legal representation these are new changes in my lifetime and i don't think most non-indigenous folks get that so it was really inspiring to hear her talk her her talk was really and and she said it so eloquently and i apologize to anybody listening to not really being able to encapsulate what she said but it was about having the wisdom to know the difference between wisdom and knowledge and she kept bringing it up in different examples over the course of her life and over the course of the examples that she was giving and um my my main takeaway was that the difference between wisdom and knowledge is that wisdom is deeper than just you know like i'll sit here and i'll talk about 231 calls to justice i will talk about 94 calls to action i'll talk about 444 recommendations from the royal commission on aboriginal people i have that knowledge i have the knowledge to read policies i'm very passionate about it obviously like 20 minutes ago <laughs> but i think the difference between knowledge and wisdom is you know having the heart and the compassion to speak from spirit on those issues so it's one thing to talk about 231 calls to justice but it's another to tell a bit of my story my family's story 
and talk about how the justice system failed it. And my husband has talked about that with me off hair about the importance of storytelling um, and, and coming from that place of spirit and talking about, you know, from love, compassion, empathy. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I'm not going to lie, there are a lot of times that I've, I miss that mark. And, you know, I'm not going to apologize for that, but I will try to do better. That's part of healing, right? Is trying to learn from your mistakes and, and um, forgiving yourself and moving forward. And for me, I just found there was a lot of wisdom in the words that she had to say well beyond what, um, you know, her, her life experience is its own amazing story. And I'm always shocked to how many folks just downgrade her um, when the, the truth is she's a rock star, a uh, rock star beyond her art, beyond her music, but a rock star to all Indigenous people that you can, you know, live your, live your life despite all the obstacles. And um, I learned so many cool things. She said uh, that she... <laughs> She's dyslexic when it comes to music, so she can write for orchestration, but she can't read it. She can hear it, but she can't read it, um, which I, I just found so, like, mind-blowing. Um, another thing that, I know this sounds really stupid, but it matters to me. Uh, one of our counselors, and he's the counselor that was kind of in the area that I worked in, um, his name is Giancarlo, and he actually was on that episode of Sesame Street where Buffy St. Marie was breastfeeding and they had a picture and I actually took a picture of it where he was sitting on the steps and he was like the only white kid there <laughs> and uh, Buffy is there and she, and he said that moments after that was when she did the breastfeeding episode that's gone viral that was a source of inspiration even for me when I was breastfeeding my daughter um you know, sometimes you don't even recognize how much somebody influences you. And I know Buffy St. Marie's video on breastfeeding really mattered. It also encouraged me um, to be proud as a Native woman. That representation really matters. So um, anyway, I probably could go on and on, but I, I just, I was grateful. So what had happened the first day was uh, Parker from Pride was, was there, but the second day they weren't. So um, my daughter got to take that um, tag and go to the conference. And when we got there, she got to hear from Buffy directly. And I know for my daughter, she may not understand the gravity of that right now, but maybe in 20 years she will. And I hope she does. So that was a really... Um, really impactful moment. Uh, another impactful moment for me was they brought a guest and her name is Dr. Lana Whiskey Jack. And apparently she's actually related to Dr. James McCulkis, um, up in Northern Alberta here. And, um, anyway, she, she talked about that full circle moment of her family, um, you know, going to Blue Quills as Indian residential school and being abused. And then that full circle moment of her not only going to it as a college today, but actually getting her doctorate and all of her, you know, education going through that system, all uh, cul culminating to her being able to, you know, write theses and such in academic settings on the importance of our culture. Um, she talked about her family, one of her children, being a part of the two-spirit community and the need for women to bring back those teachings along with the other two-spirit so that our, our kids have a safe place to learn their culture and be the two-spirit individuals that they are. And why that matters to me is that my two-spirit elder, Sharon, her daughter who has all of her teachings was there to hear that. So my hope is, is that the two-spirit community that's been growing here can continue to start doing that type of work down here as well. Um, you know, healing our elders and deprogramming the homophobia and transphobia that was taught to them, that that's hard work. And, you know, I recently had my husband go to a conference and 
he mentioned the safer space that we and community that we've built here isn't everywhere. And I'm, I was really honored to tell, you know, not just the uh, people at Voices, but also um, the folks at the United Church that the importance of building these safer spaces now for the LGBTQ2 plus community, because, you know, we have a lot of systems to fight. We have a lot of education to put into the education system that the conservatives are taking out. We have a lot of work to do, but we have to appreciate those moments that we realize we actually do have safer spaces. So anyway, a lot of the stuff, obviously really impacting me, I really encourage folks to hear um, uh, Tanya Talaga wrote a fabulous um, story. And actually, she was on the CBC radio. And she was the one who really made me feel like, oh, finally, someone's talking about colonialism and the systemic racism here. But she had just come come back from being up in a community's um, in a community where the water pump issue actually was causing an evacuation of a full community. So that article has finally come up on the star and I highly recommend everybody read it. I did share it, but it, it's just Ojibwe, Ojibwe Cree community that for 25 years has had no clean, sustainable, reliable running water. And she goes on about having the chief and, and having a grandchild that is being born into this. Her His daughter um, has lived in this community and has always not had running water. And, you know, the, um, I, I guess in July of, of 2017, uh, Carolyn Bennett had promised that Ottawa would invest $9 million to modernize modernize their water plant and it was all supposed to happen by spring of 2018 but the project has been uh, beset with troubles as uh, Tanya says in her article so I'll just read you a little bit more from her article the community's new water system is close to completion with 74 houses hooked up to the facility but on Friday the pump went down the pressure dropped and the chlorination system was no longer functioning properly a slight power outage on Friday was all it took to cause the breakdown. So the Grand Chief, um, Alvin Fiddler, um, you know, he spoke out about it and he said that it's important that we come together as a team. It is our belief um, that basic, a basic human right that everybody has safe drinking water. And that has never been the case for this community for a long time. We need a plan to get us there. This is frustrating for the community as the times, as the dates come and go. So um, the chief of that actual community, though, um, his name is uh, Munoz, and I apologize to him if I um, mispronunciate that. He had to evacuate his community, and uh, he got verbal assurances from Seamus O'Regan, the Indigenous service minister, that he would get support in every other way. Um, he asked for that promise in writing, but he never got it. So he didn't wait for the federal evacuation help. Um, he made up his own plan to charter his people out. He is proud of what he did to keep his people safe. He did not want anyone getting sick or dying like in Walkerton. Um, but it would cost the community dearly. There are no protocols in place for major infrastructure failures in reserve communities in northern Ontario. There are protocols for evacuations during social emergencies and natural disasters like forest fires, but nothing for major infrastructure failures such as lack of drinking, uh, lack of access to water. I'm just going to interject from this and say this is why um, the continuous um, lack of dollar-to-dollar -dollar funding to Indigenous people and communities over the course of time has caused this. And and this isn't just a liberal issue. This is a, con a liberal, conservative, liberal, conservative, now liberal issue. And it's always been that way. And that's what that's one of the major criticisms I hear about voting liberal or conservative from the NDP is that they've always had the opportunity to fuck things up. But I will say this. The NDP have been in charge of provinces. I've seen it personally now in Alberta. I've seen it in BC. I've seen it in Ontario. And they fuck up just as much too. So that's why I talk about there's no colonial party. 
that has ever re represented Indigenous people. And even those who are all on the other end going, well, what about the Green Party? They're still racist as fuck too, folks. Like, if you listen to Elizabeth May, she speaks deeply and strongly about the Westminster system. She believes in British colonialism so much so. She's an expert at it, not just in, in parliamentary sense, but also the legal sense. Uh, she's so racist that whenever I go and I go to the Green Party um, conversations or outreach, that there's never a land acknowledgement. There's no um, Indigenous policies. They don't understand colonialism. And they're very progressive people that have no um, diversity whatsoever. So, I, I, <laughs> so much so that the racist NDPs that didn't want to have a brown leader went to the Greens. So just keep that in perspective. Like we're talking about blackface this whole episode, systemic racism. Like Canadians are so racist, they don't even know when they're being racist when it's so painfully clear they're being racist. So anyway, so I just wanted to point all that out uh, because... You know, everybody thinks Indigenous people get things for free. We never have gotten things for free. In fact, we've always gotten less than dollar-to-dollar -dollar funding than non-Indigenous communities. And this is where it really breaks down and showcases. Is when water system goes down, there's not even procedures for this. So the chief uh, now fears that after spending thousands of dollars to move everybody, that the band will be put under third-party management, which is when Indigenous Affairs appoints someone else to take control of the community finances. He figures he won't be able to bring the people back until next Saturday. A 600-pound pump was delivered on Monday and has been installed, but the pipes have to be flushed out and the water going to the houses tested. The chief is sitting in a nearby empty band council office. The streets are abandoned. Hardly anyone is left. Just lots of dogs and community pets that are still on hand and are struggling to feed. He is emotional. He raises his voice. I'm trying to be as calm as I can, but I get loud. Maybe the way Canada, maybe that way Canada will hear us. And Tanya finishes her article by saying, the ball is in your court, voters. Ask the questions. And I'm telling you, I am not hearing this topic. In fact, the opposite. I've had people to my face say to me, well, I think Justin Trudeau has been talking about Indians way too much. That's the, where we are on Reconciliation Canada. That even so-called progressive people think we're talking about Native issues way too much. So if you really are listening to this show and give a shit about Indigenous issues, why are you not speaking up about the lack of Indigenous issues that's on the, in, in the talking points in general? Why are we here, Canada? Why are we still having to bring in, you know, racialized people as guests to talk about blackface? You can't see the systemic racism. Like, it's so obvious. Why isn't it obvious to you, too? Um, uh, another thing I wanted to bring up that's completely different is it was brought to my attention by Queers on Campus here locally. And I'll, I'll read you this open letter to Mary, Mayor Nenshi and the City of Calgary. It has come to our attention that an event called Possessing the Land is being held inside Calgary City Hall October 5th. So this is the day after Sisters in Spirit. It is a sermon led by author Pulowski of Street Church. Pulowski is a known homophobe, transphobe, and xenophobe with ties to white supremacy organizations and individuals. And we urge the city to revoke his permit to hold this event. Pulowski has for many years been present at Calgary Pride protesting it as anti-Christian. His vitriol against the LGBTQ2S plus community has long verifiable roots, from blaming the 2013 floods on queer people to hosting Bill uh, Whatcock for a homophobic rally that resulted in a brawl, hurting multiple queer protesters. Pulowski is one of our city's most notable and shameful bigots. Many of his beliefs I, uh, example that divorce should be illegal and that government legislation should be religiously based counter the human, uh, are a counter to human and charter rights. His ties to white supremacy groups cannot be overlooked either. Events that he's organized, such as the March for Jesus, has included volunteer security provided by the Northern Guard. 
an offspring of the Sons of Odin, the Northern Guard, is a racist hate group with multiple neo-Nazi members known for violent anti-Islamic rhetoric and armed patrols of neighborhoods that are home to immigrants and people of color. If the city of Calgary is sincere in supporting immigrants, queer people, people of color, and Muslims in this city, they will deny Pulowski the chance to preach his shameful so-called Christian bigotry. The city is not obligated to provide a platform for him, and doing so legitimizes and emboldens hatred in our public spaces. We ask the city take a stance in respect of diversity and inclusion and against those who vilify the most marginalized among us. Concerned citizens should uh, phone 311 and voice their concerns to all relevant city departments. Edit. The person that we should be voicing complaints to is such and such customer management lead in faculty management. Go phone. So I read it and I couldn't help but notice, of course, there was no Indigenous inclusion. So, and I also know that phoning 311 and phoning the city is useless. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, in the colonized uh, British way, the most, you know, effective way is to write a letter. So, I responded with Dear Councillor Ray Jones and Nahid Nenchi, so my councillor and the mayor. October 4th is Sisters in Spirit Vigil, which I know our mayor has attended yearly and some councillors attend at noon. The City of Cal Calgary released the White Goose Flying Report, a response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The Indigenous homeless population is a, is a direct result of colonialism. Some of the homeless Indigenous identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or two-spirit. They face gendered violence and racism at disproportionate rates. Many of the Christian organizations have not realized their role in colonialism, transphobia, homophobia, and racism. I'm asking the city to honor their commitment to Indian residential school survivors and the ones lost along with the Indigenous LGBTQIA plus community along with the families of missing and murdered Indigenous by sending the mess by seeing the message. Oh man, I'm going to have to uh, fix that. By seeing the message this organization is sending, which contradicts the spirit of reconciliation. I guess seeing isn't that bad. We have much work to do. There are 231 calls to justice on the national report on missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, and 94 calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission to still fully implement. Thank you to No Church in Calgary City Hall and Queers on, Com Queers on Campus for their advocacy. Best regards, Michelle Robinson. So we'll have to give an update to see what happens there, that's for sure. Um, also on the list is September 30th, which is Orange Shirt Day, which honors those who survived and didn't from Indian residential schools. So I hope folks go to uh, Orange Shirt Day, Every Child Matters, to uh, be able to um, purchase shirts there that go to that organization. Uh, they said that they also, that orangeshirtday.net also goes to them. So that's good. Um, Indigenous have been talking about these issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, cutting Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and, Recon Rec the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports on the child welfare and violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, health, and justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. And if they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties and local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. A really great article that I said out loud in episode 62 is truth before truth how non-indigenous canadians become allies violence is my everyday reality 
Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure as hell want to tell us their shitty opinions. Usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Typical microaggressions that people are dealing with internalized racism now, uh, lateral violence, those who are gatekeepers and survive off the status quo, or people who are so in their trauma that they stop people from doing the work and deplete all the personal resources. External and internal racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. It's sad I needed a, a podcast for a boundary to be heard, but this is where we are as in Canada we do fucking blackface and systemic racism is so fucking obvious we need to bring in all the racialized people as fucking guests because god forbid producers and you know hosts are actually racialized my hope is my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they'll understand i want to continue to put cultural safety into action and create a safer place for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, uh, and those who are Muslim brothers and sisters. Look at it as first aid for marginalization. First, you have to do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You have to take action to make change. Speak out against racism, ask questions with those with more understanding, find allergies, uh, find allergies, <laughs> Find allies and create a support system so that you can advocate for culturally safe approaches and policy changes. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Don't expect this learning to come from marginalized people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. Seriously, I have said this like 60 fucking times. And here I am discussing fucking blackface today. I'd like to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca for their uh, piece on their website about what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Um, internalized racism, lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized marginalized folks experience in the structure of racism imposed on these lands <laughs> you know when i talk about the indian act and indian residential schools and all the land clearing policies that apparently are going in one ear and out the other that everybody's fucking shocked by blackface um yeah so if you happen to see people of color uh, or anybody being marginalized you know there are do's and don'ts so it's called bystander intervention. You can Google this if you don't want to listen to my voice. I'm annoyed fucking saying this all the time. I can't believe people don't know to do this shit. Anyway, make your presence known as a witness. You know, make eye contact. Let the person being harassed know that you're there to support them. Move closer to them. Um, film it. Get consent. Talk to the people. Give them your card. Take cues from the people being harassed. And if you fucking tell them to not overreact, then just don't listen to this fucking podcast and just don't ever go out in public again. Do everything you can to be safe. Don't call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment right now, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the people being harassed. So don't escalate the situation. But God, don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. Teach your kids about accountability in a positive way. Ask questions. What did you mean by that? It's a subtle way to hold people accountable and teach, her, um, teach folks that sitting in discomfort is not a prerequisite. So if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline. It's toll-free, it's open 24 hours a day and 7 days a week. It's 1-855-242-3310. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. 
I want to say thank you to my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family roots and stepping up to teach me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her that I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism to our child that we are blessed to learn from daily and we are honored we chose you chose us you give me daily accountability to be a better stronger person my patreon account is native calgarian where you can pledge and support thank you to alexandra beatrice brian celine diana jocelyn judy kenna kimberly leah marissa natalie nathan phyllis rebecca the sprawl tiffany vanessa with one s and Veronica, thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. I want to say thank you all for listening to my, um, you know, rants today. I don't normally swear, but I feel pretty strongly against blackface, which I'm sure you're all tuning in to listen to. But if you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, whether it's about blackface, whether it's your opinions of what you heard, whether it's Desmond Cole, whether it's um, your opinions on Buffy St. Marie, send in your comments and your questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to say thank you for folks about, you know, your positive um statements that you send me i don't always know if you want me to put them on air when you you know private message me so but i do want to end with giving that side eye to calgary rabbits and say you're lucky i'm not tradish and my beautiful cousin would respond or you'd be in my dish thanks again for listening